If it's been a while since you considered jealousy's potential for agony, listen as we continue our current series, Unexpected Grace. We encounter the truth about what jealousy did in the life of Joseph's family for more than 20 years. You can find this story in Genesis chapter 43 and 4. Our Truth Encounter study leader, Dave Wartson, begins with some diagnostic questions we all need to ask ourselves. Confession is good for the soul. Anybody here ever been jealous? What are some of the things that you get jealous about? You ever notice that right back in the very beginning of our family, right in the very beginning of raising a family, our kids get jealous? How many of you parents have ever had your kids jealous at Christmas time because it wasn't fair? One of the family members, one of the sons or daughters, got more presents. Never happened, right? We grow older. You get into school and you're competing maybe with your best friend. And your best friend gets elected to the cheerleading squad and you don't. And what do we feel inside? Well, that little green man comes inside of us and we get jealous. Let's suppose that you're working in your job and you have sweated, you have strained, you've been working for years trying to invest in this company. And right at the crucial point, right at the turning point in your career favoritism is shown because what's one of the things that makes us more jealous than anything else that we might do that we might experience favoritism it isn't fair and someone that we don't think really has the competency someone that we really don't believe should be given that position because we earned it we deserve to get it and we don't get it and how do we feel I think there's some of us that are here this morning that jealousy deep in the pit of our personality has poisoned relationship. Some of you haven't touched base with a friend. Some of you haven't touched base with an associate that you worked with for years. Some of you maybe might not have even talked to a father, a mother, or a brother, a sister in a long time. And the heart reason is because you're jealous. Because you feel that it isn't fair. You know, jealousy makes us angry. And when we become angry, it can lead to violence. We're studying the life of Joseph, and it was jealousy that put Joseph in the pit. You see, Judah was Joseph's older brother. And Judah experienced one of the worst forms of unfairness there could ever be. His daddy, his daddy just didn't say that he loved Joseph more. He actually did loved Judah's younger brother more than he loved Judah. Judah grew up in a home where it was very unfair. There was a great deal of favoritism. And day after day, this green jealousy, this envy ate out his heart. He became more and more angry. And so in his early 20s, he was out with his brothers taking care of his father's flocks, his father sent his younger brother out to check on him, and that was the straw that broke Judah's back. That anger ignited. The brothers all got together. Simeon and Levi probably came up with a plan. Their first plan was just kill him. Let's just 
beat him up and throw him in a pit, throw his body in the pit, let the wolves eat it, and that'll be it. Judah rescued his brother from that demise. Instead, he said, let's take him out of the pit. And he was a good founder of Judaism. He says, let's make some money on this deal. And so they sold their younger brother into slavery in Egypt. Judah in his 20s was an angry, jealous man. And it was so cruel, it was so vindictive that it caused Judah to sell his younger brother into slavery. 20 years of life went by. And the wheels of time are churning. And last week we introduced how the Almighty God started to work through the circumstances of life. You see, when you're jealous and when you're angry, you feel not only alienated from your family, not only from the person that you're jealous of, but deep in your soul you know you're not right with God. You're not open before Him. You're not willing to let Him penetrate into that hardness of angry jealousy. And so you feel that God has abandoned you. You feel like maybe there isn't even a God. And last week we began to see that because there is a real God, and because as we worship this morning and as we give praise to Jesus Christ this morning, we are confessing that though he's invisible right now, Jesus Christ is very real. And he, way back in the Old Testament, began to powerfully work in Judah's life. He sent Judah back to Egypt. And there he had to begin to remember his past. And they didn't want to go to Egypt for a long time because they were afraid. When you're guilty, you're afraid. Maybe they'd run into their, slaved, their enslaved brother. Maybe they would find out some horrible thing that had happened to their younger brother because they sold him to slavery. So they put it off as long as they could. But then they had to go down. And last week we learned how they met the prime minister of the land. The prime minister of the land accused them of being spies and said they were liars. They said the only way that they could prove that they were men of honesty, that they were men of truth, was to go back to their dad and bring their younger brother Benjamin that their father wouldn't let come on the first trip. And that's where we pick it up the story today in Genesis chapter 43. So if you open your Bibles to Genesis 43, we begin with the second journey down into Egypt. Last week, we learned about the test of honesty. Chapter 43 and 44 faces with another test. It's the test of jealousy. Will Judah, manipulated and moved back into the same kind of a crisis that he faced when he was in his 20s, will he in his 40s repeat the same mistake of his 20s? Now we begin to get some inkling into what's happened to Judah in the last 20 or so years as we look at the beginning of this chapter, we look at Genesis 43 and it says, Now the famine was still severe. The Lord still has the pressure on. So when they had eaten up all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little bit more food. What's the matter with you guys? Why don't you get on the ball and go back and buy us some more food? But Judah, notice who has now become the leader of the twelve. Judah said to him, the man warned to solemnly. That's Joseph in disguise. Judah doesn't know who he is. Right now, he's just the man. And he is the man. He's the one that controls all the food stores of Egypt. That man said, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. 
But if you will not send him, we will not go down because the man said, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Jacob or Israel asked, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man that you had another brother? Why in the world did you even bring up the thing about your younger brother? Judah replies, or the brothers reply, the man questioned us closely. We, didn't, we couldn't help it, in other words, they're saying. Man, this guy questioned us closely. And the writer of Genesis begins to give the little hints that Joseph's brothers should have begun to pick up on. This man questions too much. This person tends to know so much. And this, the narrator is going to begin to put little hints to the brothers of Joseph about his identity. And here's one of the first ones. This man, the prime minister, asked a whole lot of questions and he almost moved us. He almost tricked us into telling, us, telling him the detail about our younger brother. Verse 8, then Judah responded to his dad, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. That little phrase, let us go that we might live and not die, is the first principle of leadership that I want every daddy in this room to hear, and every one of us that's a leader, and all of us are a leader to someone. The responsibility of leadership, one of the primary ones, is the preservation of the people you're responsible for. And Judith steps forth among the brothers in the midst of a crisis, and crises like famines, like financial hard times, recession, those kind of things begin to bring out in us who really is the leader. And what Judah is doing is he's beginning to step forth on the stage of life in his family, and he's saying, I'm the leader. And he says, you need to let me go and buy food that we might live and not die. Leadership involves feeding its people. As dads, I want to underscore, and those of you as moms and dads, as you go to work, and we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. We exercise leadership by providing for the needs of our family. And when you provide for the needs of that family, when you are the leader, those that are being provided for need to express submission to that. They need to put themselves underneath that. And that's a very important principle. You are ready to be a leader. For the young people, you are ready to be a leader when you are providing for your needs, when you are meeting your physical necessities. Until that day, you are underneath the leadership of someone else. And remember that. And remember that when you're tempted to want to get away and do your own thing and express yourself, moms and dads, when you start to experience those kinds of drives in your older children, be very careful not to give freedom without giving responsibility. Because freedom without responsibility will wipe us out. You see, if we're going to learn to take care of families, if we're going to learn to take care of life, if we're going to be able to take care of others, we need to learn to take care of ourselves first. And God intends for young people to leave their fathers and mothers and to form new families. But in doing so, they must learn to take on this first principle of leadership. They've got to learn how to provide for their family. It doesn't mean that you don't help. It doesn't mean that you don't give assistance when it's needed. But I want to warn you, you'll never produce leaders 
in your children if you keep control of all the leadership, if you keep doing all the preserving, all the providing. I want you to see that in Jacob's family that Judah... Judah has now, this older boy in his family, has now become the leader of this family. And by the way, as the story develops, his descendants are going to become the prime leaders in all of Israel. What generated that? It came way back here in Judah's life. Judah, the leader, begins to step forth and says, someone needs to take responsibility to provide for this family. I will do it. So preservation of those under your care is the first prerequisite of leadership. The second thing I want you to see is if you're going to be an effective leader, you need to be willing to self-sacrifice yourself for those under your care. Leadership is not about self-aggrandizement. It's about self-giving. Look what Judah says. Then Judah said to his father, I myself, verse 9, will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all of my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Judah not only is willing to take the responsibility of providing for the family, of preserving the life of the family by feeding it, but second of all, Judah is willing to give his life Give his life for those under his care. What's Jacob so uptight about? Well, Reuben, the older brother, said when they first came back from Egypt that Jacob could kill all of Reuben's kids. In other words, what Reuben says is, Granddad, you can kill your grandkids if I don't bring Benjamin back. Well, it was kind of a gesture, a kind of a, a extreme gesture, where Reuben was trying to say, Man, Dad, you need to let me take Benjamin. But it was kind of a gruesome thing, and Reuben was kind of flighty anyway. And after all, what grandfather would want to kill his grandchildren? Jude is a different kind of leader. He steps forth, and he says, let me take my younger brother Benjamin. And Dad, if I don't bring him back, I'm responsible. I'll give my life in his place. Now remember, this is Judah of 20 years earlier, 20 years earlier, what kind of a man was Judah? He was jealous as anything of a younger brother. Now what is he saying? Now he's saying is, Dad, that favored brother, and by the way, Benjamin had taken the place of Joseph in Jacob's heart. Jacob didn't learn his lesson. He still showed all kinds of favoritism to Benjamin. But what kind of a man is Judah 20 years later? Now he's saying, Dad, let me take the younger brother, the one that you favored, the one that you're so afraid to let go of for the good of this family. You're going to have to let go of him, give him into my care. And he says, if I lose him, I'll take the responsibility. I'll take the responsibility the rest of my life. Judas said, I am willing to sacrifice myself for the people under my care. You want to be a leader, and all of us need to be leaders in life. In certain areas, we need to not only take the responsibility of providing for those under our care, but second of all, we need to be willing to give of our lives for those under our care. That's the essence of leadership. You see, we think that the essence of leadership is in power. We think it's in prestige. We think it's in titles. But the essence of leadership is, number one, taking responsibility. 
stepping forth and say, I'll take responsibility here, and then being willing to sacrifice yourself for the good of those under your care. Christianity talks about a totally different kind of leadership than we're used to in life. But it's the kind of leadership that in the end has unbelievable influence. Because a person that's leading you, that's willing to give their life for you, is the person that has a hold of your heart. They're the person that will model for you and be an example for you, and you'll follow them anywhere. And Judah, it's incredible. This man was jealous as anything in his 20s, but now he's modeling for us some of the essential principles of leadership. Now, how could that ever be? Well, maybe it's just blowing smoke, right? How many of you have ever met a person that comes to church on Sunday morning, and man, they stand up and they just sound like Jesus Christ incarnate almost, or the Apostle Paul. And yet, when you go out into life with them and you begin to live your life with them, you find out it's all just blowing smoke. Anybody ever been disillusioned by someone like that? In other words, they had a silver-tongued, but man, their feet were crumbly clay that just broke. You couldn't depend upon them. Was Judah that kind of a man? Well, that's the challenge of the text. Was Judah just a blowhard? Was he someone that made all kinds of promises with his mouth, but he wouldn't keep them with his life? That's the tension of this story. There's a third principle of leadership I want you to pick up. Jacob, their father, we get a lot of insight into poor old Israel. Look at verse 11. Then their father Israel said, if it must be, then do it. You ever met someone like that? How many of you love someone like that? You know, your family's in a terrible crisis situation. You try to step forth to do something about it. And some old guy is saying, well, if it's got to be like this, it's got to be like that. You know, just as cynical and bitter as he can be. Put some of the best product of the land in your bags and take them down to the man. Remember that all their money was replaced in their sacks, so Israel's trying to cover the bill. Put a little balm, a little honey, some spices, myrrh, some of the pistachio nuts. That would be good. And almonds, I'd be glad to get that. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver... Perhaps he made a mistake. So they're trying to cover up for all the silver being in their bags. Take your brother. These were the hardest words for Jacob to say. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. I get this in verse 14. And may God Almighty grant you justice before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. And for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Is that what the text reads? What did I read wrong in that text? I read justice instead of mercy. What's the difference? What's the difference? It's the difference, brothers and sisters, that I look at at you. Mercy or justice is the difference between whether or not you can open up about your jealousy and you can allow God to come into your life and heal you and really be set free to have relationships with others. I want to share something with you. As long as every one of you live for justice in relationships, in your families, as long as your husband says to your wife, you got to be fair. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. I scratch your back down where it itches, now you scratch my back down where it itches. And I'm going to keep track. And when you don't come through for me, I won't come through for you. Because we're going to keep it fair here. As long as you're going to do that, you're going to be bitter you're going to be jealous. Families can be torn apart by jealousy. And the, what makes us that way is it's not fair. I want all of you to ask yourself, 
In your heart this morning, deep in your heart, are you jealous about something? Are you jealous about something? Is there someone that you're jealous of? And I want you to ask yourself, why are you jealous? Why are you jealous? Why are you jealous? Sometimes we're jealous of our best friend. It's a funny thing. We can be jealous of our best friend. Why are you jealous of your friend? You know why? Because you think that they got a better deal from God than you did. And it isn't fair. They're better looking, or they're a better speaker, or they make more money, or mom and dad just always, mom and dad just baby them all their life. They always got the gifts from mom and dad. I never get it, man. They have most favorite status, and I can't stand it. You know what that's about? It's saying you're yelling inside your heart. It's not fair. It's not fair. You know what the Bible comes to you this morning and says to me, it says to you, it says, you know what? Life is about mercy. Life is about grace. What is mercy? Israel says, I commend you to the God of mercy. It's a, it's a very good thing that Jacob prayed that prayer and said, as my sons travel down to Egypt, oh God Almighty, give them mercy. Aren't you glad that, that Jacob didn't pray for the Lord God Almighty to give him justice? What would have happened to those brothers traveling to Egypt if God would have given them justice? Well, what would justice give to brothers that brutally put their brother in a pit and then sell him and then lie about the whole thing to their dad and let their dad smolder in bitter mourning for over 20 years? What did people like that get in a just court? Man alive, they're going to skin. They're going to hang by their neck. You know, that's where all of us are. You know, all of us are just like these brothers. As the Lord God Almighty unrolls all of our hearts, all of us need to cry out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that publican that prayed the prayer in contrast to the proud Pharisee that said, oh, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. It was the publican that touched the heart of God. And that's what I want every one of us to do. And I repeat this over and over again. Life today, God is not writing a story of justice today. The story that God is writing during this present age is not a story of grace. It's a story of a lot of inconsistency, unfairness, broken promises. It's a story of a big mess. But it's also a story that in the midst of this mess, God wants to bring an undeserved, totally unexpected forgiveness and love. And so we need to commit one another to the God of mercy. I want to ask yourself, do you live your life based upon mercy or do you live your life based upon justice? Okay, with your friends, if they invite you over to eat, do you reciprocate, right? Depends upon the meal. And how many of you in your heart calculate? We have done this so many times. They have done this so many times. And are the scales balanced? How many of you do that in your life? Almost all of you do that in your life. It's a deep concern in your life. It's got to be fair. You know what? You're going to be bitter doing that. And I guarantee that friendships built upon that will eventually crumble and die. Because it's not going to be fair. And you're never going to be free doing that. You've got to give a gift of mercy. That's why Jesus said some really incredible things to us. Like Jesus said, if you want to have a banquet, 
The best way to have a banquet is go out and invite people that can't possibly repay you. Go out and invite the bums on the street and, you know, the, the prostitute. Just go out there and get the scum of the earth, and there's no way, absolutely no way they can repay you. Have them over to eat, and then you're going to really be free. And we say, Lord, you have got, where did you come from? You must come from another planet. He does. But you know what? You're really free. You're really free. It's incredible. Somebody called you up on the phone. You know, you call them up on the phone and say, hey, would you like to go to church with me next Sunday? We're going to be talking about something. I haven't seen you in a while. Man, I really would like to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. Is there something going on? Maybe I can be of help to you. And they go, man, you blankety-blank Christians, I can't stand you guys. Man alive, this and this and this. And the person just reams you out. I mean, just really gets angry. You hang up the phone and say, well, man, I'll never call them again. You know what mercy has the privilege of doing? Mercy has the privilege of being totally open and saying some of the areas you talked about are really true. Christians, and I'm included, can be like that sometimes. And I agree with you. Well, that takes a win into someone's anger. And then you say in the midst of someone's anger, mercy is able to say, you know what? I really love you and I really care. And I want you to know that I really care. Mercy is free. It's free not to get all entangled in the fairness, hitting, you hit me, I hit you. Mercy is able to put the hands down and give. And the Lord is slowly but surely teaching me that. In fact, I think part of the growth of discipleship is to begin to learn to give to people mercifully and not with a hidden agenda. And that's what Israel committed the brothers to that went down to Egypt. The brothers traveled down to Egypt, and so we have... Judas stepping forth as this leader, but what kind of a leader is he going to be? Well, God begins to maneuver Judah into the test of self-sacrifice. You remember from your Sunday school days, the brothers come before Joseph, and Joseph invites him over to his house to eat. And this would be like a, like kind of like a, a, a three-sided building with a large open court. And then because Joseph was so powerful in Egypt, it was a gigantic house. There would be probably a big banquet hall. The brothers are gathered out in the courtroom, in the, in the central court area, the outside area. And Joseph Steward comes to see them, you know, to give them all the proper protocol as they're going to eat with the prime minister. Well, the brothers, as they're, as they're in Joseph's house, they are overwhelmed by this. And you know what they start doing? They start talking to one another and said, he's going to get us this time. The reason that he brought us into his house and he wants us to eat with him is he's going to make the whole kit and caboodle of us slaves. It's not only going to be Simeon in jail, we're all going to be thrown in jail. And so one of the brothers says, man, get the gifts out quick, man, get the money out. So the steward of Joseph comes out and he, and, and these brothers overwhelm him. Man, they're throwing almonds at him, pistachio nuts. Man, they're giving a, Twice as much silver back. What are they trying to do? They're saying, we didn't do it. We didn't do it. Look it. Here's the stuff. The steward says to them, don't worry about it. Look at verse 23. It's all right, he said. Don't be, don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, that's the true God of Israel, has given you treasure in your sacks. I've received your silver which he did. The brothers had given him the silver. He just didn't add, I put the silver back. Who did he say gave him the money back? God did. 
Now, why did God give them the money back? What is this steward reminding them of? This is a pagan, supposedly, maybe Joseph wanted him to the Lord. You know, he was Joseph's steward, so maybe Joseph was a good testimony. Maybe this guy was a true worshiper of Yahweh. I don't know. We'll have to wait till we get to heaven. But this Egyptian is reminding these Israelites, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. You know what? When you're living for justice and you're all filled with jealousy, you know what else? You're very afraid. You're afraid of everybody. You can't trust anybody because you're always afraid you're going to get wiped out. You're always afraid people are going to give you a bad deal. You know how to handle a life that's filled with bad deals? That Just make that not the criteria. You just say, I know I'm going to get bad deals and I'm going to give mercy back. I know people are going to wipe me out and I'm going to give love to them. You know what? You're going to become a crazy person if you do that. But you'll also find that you're living in touch with the kingdom of heaven and you're going to be okay. You're going to really be set free. You know why? Because there really is an invisible God and that invisible God, if not in this life, ultimately, he really is going to make everything right. And if you live for mercy and not justice, you're going to find silver in your sack someday. That's true in the ministry. I want to share with you, you need to ask yourself this morning, as you look around this room, are there some people you don't eat and drink freely with? And then you need to ask yourself, why? It might be because of broken relationships. It might be because of jealousy. It might be because of hurt. How much longer are you going to live? How much longer are you going to live and let that go? You know, death has an incredible way. Death has an incredible way of breaking through that kind of stuff. I've seen that happen again and again. Somebody came up to me after Audrey went home with me to the Lord and they said, I can't wait any longer because life's too short. And we got close again. That's important. But you know, one of the, one of the things that I cry about more in the ministry, as I go and I, I'm with grieving families, one of the things I cry about is I, I often say to the Lord, Lord, I'm thankful for the beauty you produce in de- out of death. Death is an ugly thing, but thank you for the beauty that you bring. But I say, Lord, why do you have to use a sledgehammer to teach Dave Wurtson to love and to get by the jealousy and get by the hurts? Why don't we just do it? You know, I think that's what Sunday morning should be. Sunday morning should be one of the times you just touch base with one another. And you let the jealousy, you're honest about the jealousy. Some of you should go to somebody right even today. Maybe call somebody. Maybe go and see them and say, you know what? You probably don't even know this. But I've really been jealous of you. And it's been breaking my relationship with you. I've been angry with you. And I just want to say that I'm sorry. The Lord taught me this morning in Genesis that Judah is a good guy under the mercy of God. And Judah needs to be Judah. And Joseph needs to be Joseph, and Israel needs to be Israel. None of us need to be anybody else. Because we're all loved by the Father. That's what sets us free from jealousy. Can you eat and drink freely? 20 years, 20 years later, God's done a tremendous work. Because these guys, they couldn't have eat, eaten or drank with Joseph for a million bucks. They would have wanted to kill him. They would have been gritting their teeth through the whole meal. But now little Benji's down there. He's just floating in all the bountiful gifts. And the brothers don't say a word. But this plot thickens.
the storyteller ties the knot a little bit tighter. They say goodbye to Joseph. Joseph puts all the food in their sacks. Man, they take back to Egypt. Joseph lets him get probably to where the Suez Canal is today. Back then it was just desert, but probably just a little bit towards the Suez Canal, just about a couple hours outside Cairo, because Joseph was a little bit north of modern-day Cairo. And he says to his steward again, go out there and get those guys. Somebody stole my cup, my silver cup. You got kleptomaniacs in this family. Man, the prime minister of Egypt has them over to eat. It would be like being invited to the White House. And you cop some of the silver coffee cup or something. That would be creepy to do that. Man, you get invited to the White House, don't steal anything. That's what's going on. I want you to feel a bit. That's the kind of thing that's going on. So, man, the steward comes up. The brothers go into consternation. In chapter 44, they are going bananas. We didn't do it. We didn't do it. You can search all of our sacks. I promise you, we are innocent. Man, these guys, I've, you know, their conscience comes out again. Man, they're protesting really loudly. They go all the way through the 12 sacks. Evidently, they started again with the oldest. Went right down through. They got to Benjamin. And there, they opened the sack. And I'm sure Judah said, Benjamin, you idiot. You little jerk. Man, you had all the food you could eat. You've been the object of all this stuff. Man, I, I didn't get, get uptight about it. What in the world did you take the silver cup for? But he didn't say it. All the brothers say, we got to all go back. I want you to notice the change in these guys. You know what all they needed to do? It was easy this time. The last time they fooled around with this, Joseph came hop, skipping, and jumping across the hills of Judea, and they see him from a distance and say, ah, we can get him. Their neck wasn't on the line. Nobody was threatening those brothers. It was only their green jealousy that was eating at their heart. They take their brother, throw him in a pit. He cries like crazy, weeps and wails before his brothers. They don't hear anything. Then they sell him in Egypt, and they just live with the lie. Now, all they've got to do, 20 years later, you know what they have to do? All they have to do is say, Benji, you shouldn't have stole the silver cup. Bye-bye. In fact, Joseph gave him the opportunity. All the brothers came back. They all gather in Joseph's house again, and they step forth, and they say, well, we're all going to be your slaves. Joseph says, guys, don't get extreme. That's way, way too extreme. Just the one that stole the cup, just Benjamin. These brothers are face-to-face with the challenge of their life. Do I love my little brother or not? Am I jealous of my little brother or not? Am I still bound up with the fact that my daddy showed favoritism and I feel like I'm just a little unloved person and I'm angry about it and I'm jealous of everybody, especially of the stupid little brother that got all the love from dad, Are these sons still bound up in all that cycle of dysfunction? And Judas steps forth and gave the speech of his life that we conclude with. Genesis chapter 44, verse 18. Then Judah went up to him and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you're equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants... Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, we have an aged father, and there's a young son born to him in his old age. His brother's dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Twenty years earlier, he could care less that his father loved Joseph. 
now in his 40s, he understands how important it is a father's love for his son. My daddy loves Benjamin, and I care. Then you said to your servants, bring down to me so I, so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord said. Then our father said this, go back and buy a little more food. But we said we cannot go down only if our youngest brother is with us. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, he has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too and harm him comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servant will bring the gray head of your father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you for my father all my life. Verse 33. Now then, please listen. Let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. Brothers and sisters, if you don't believe in the power of God to produce a changed life, then this afternoon you need to read that speech over and over again. Because the essence of that speech is, when I was 20, I cared less about the fact that my dad loved my little brother. Now I care. When I was 20, I cared less that the loss of one of those sons would put my brother into terrible grief. But now I care. And I'm not just a blowhard. I care enough that I will take the place. I will take the place of my brother. And for all Judah knows, Benjamin was a thief. If he operated on the principle of justice, all he needed to do is say, Joseph, you're the prime minister. My little brother's a good-for-nothing. You can see that. He stole the cup. He's been a spoiled brat all of his life. We'll just leave him here. And Judah could have left, could have walked out of Egypt scot-free, but he didn't. He didn't. You know why? Because in 20 years of life, as the almighty God of the universe worked in his heart, Judah was a different man. Judah became the family of the Messiah. You've all heard how Joseph, how Joseph is the prime example, the mirror image of Jesus Christ. But that's not the real story of Genesis. The real story of Genesis is the words that you just read. I will take the place of my little brother. I will give my life in his place. Joseph never said that. It was the father of the tribe of Judah that produced the tribe of David that ultimately produced Joseph and Mary and by the miracle of the virgin birth brought the son of Judah 
the son of David, and it was the essence of Judah, I will take the place of my brother. That became the essence of Calvary. Became the essence of the son of Judah, Jesus Christ, that died for you. As we close this morning, you know, it's possible that if you're jealous, it's possible if you're jealous that you've, that the reason that's so is that you've never experienced mercy yourself. You've never experienced total grace itself. So as we close our time in prayer, Jesus Christ comes to you and he says, I want to take your place. In fact, I already did take your place. Unlike Benjamin, who really didn't steal anything, you really have stolen. Unlike Benjamin, that was innocent and just misjudged, if I really judge you honestly, you deserve to die. But Jesus, the son of Judah, the son of God, steps forth and says, but I care. I care about my daddy's love. And I'm not going to return to my dad without bringing a host of brothers and sisters with me. I'm not going to return to my dad without a host of my brothers and sisters with me. And that's why Jesus Christ sacrificed himself on Calvary, so that we undeserving, sinful, jealous, dishonest, angry people could experience total mercy and receive the gift as Jesus, like Judah, says, I'll take my brother's place. Have you come to that love? There needs to be a moment in your life. You not, might not even know when that moment is, but there needs to be a moment in your life when you open your heart, you open your personality to Jesus' love, to his mercy, to his grace, as expressed on Calvary in the power of the resurrection. If you don't know there's been that moment, it can happen right now as we close in prayer. Just be honest. Open up before God. Talk to him and allow Jesus to come into your life. And I want to talk to you that are believers already. If you're a believer this morning, and if I'm a believer this morning, and we're harboring jealousy in our life, and you won't let go of it, we want to hold on to it. Some of us have been holding on to that for a long time. You need to come back to Calvary again. You need to think about what happened to you on Calvary. Because what you're crying in your heart, if you're jealous, what you're crying, that wouldn't be fair. Man, I've been getting a raw deal all my life. I'm not going to give in to that. Man, I'm angry and I deserve to be angry. Come to the cross. You've got to bring it angry. Don't pretend it's not there. Don't cover it at all. But bring it to Calvary and think about what Jesus did for you there. It's the only way you're going to be released. It's the only way you're not going to grow old bitter. It's the only way we're not going to go and visit you in a nursing home and have you be one of the worst people in the world that we hate to visit because you're such a creep. Because you're cynical and negative and cold and angry about everything. The only way we're going to escape that bitter cycle of unforgiveness and jealousy and hurt, come to the cross. Old people, old people that live remembering the cross, their bodies grow old and weak, but their personality becomes gentle and kind. Because like Judah, they might have started out as murderers in their 20s, 
but in their 40s. The God of mercy, the almighty creator, the one who gave us his son, has begun to teach them. What's really important in life is my daddy's love for his son. For my willingness to be able to sacrifice myself for my little brother. Because I care. Joseph, that was the moment of grace that broke him. He couldn't contain himself anymore. He cried and wept and he revealed himself to his brothers. I close with this. Friend, if you'll stop living for justice and you'll open yourself up to the kind of merciful, transforming love, God won't be hidden to you anymore. God won't just be the prime minister up there on heavenly courts. He'll become your daddy. He'll become close to you. Just like Joseph opened himself up and revealed his brother. No longer was he the prime minister. He was now my family. When you open your love, your heart to Calvary love, you find mercy and forgiveness, and you begin to pray, our daddy who is in heaven.